and good morning. There are many times in our lives that we find ourselves in a type of wilderness, an experience of disorientation and desolation maybe. It might be caused by our own doing and our own choices or just life circumstances. Situations arrive that we could not have imagined or guessed, and but here you are in that feeling of exile, feeling of distant from God and his care for us. Our passage from Isaiah 40 today brings God's words to us in that exile, just as it brought words to those in exile from Judah nearly 2,600 years ago. This morning, I want to start with the ways that we in our world and in our lives experience some of God's exile, and we're going to do that as a sort of prayer with some pictures to help us hold this bigger idea with God. So, Lord Jesus, will you meet us? Meet us where there are warring fractions, forces that cause people to flee from destruction or from slaughter, which is even happening today, as it did in Isaiah's time. Come, Holy One, touch us where the political strife and the inequity of the world breaks up families and creates chaos. Find us in that desert place where addictions and poverty come over us. Heavenly Father, protect us as a desolation of illness and depression threatens to steal away our health and shatter our hopes. Meet us in the life situations of loss. Loss that throws us into a wilderness of grief. You are a good, ever-loving Father. So let us hear your words coming to us this morning through the generations from Isaiah's text and Handel's Messiah.
to take a deep breath for those words of comfort and receive them. Comfort. It's a word that helps us to relax our shoulders, to open up our clenched fist because the trial is over, because the difficulty or the illness or the fever or the midterm is over. Exile is ending, finished. For God is making a way into our wilderness. Even now, he comes with power and with tenderness. Every valley shall be raised up and every hill flattened. Nothing will be an obstacle for our God, the Almighty One, who comes to aid his people. Now, many of you probably recognize that short bit of music that comes from the Messiah, written also in difficult times of the 17th century in England. And it's the prelude, because what comes after it is that wonderful section of, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. All of the words from Isaiah 9. And they finish with the hallelujah chorus. That also is the arc of Isaiah 40 that we'll be looking at today. From exile to hope. That's our passage. Before we jump into the text, though, I want to give us a little bit of background to what Isaiah writes into so that we can understand the situation. Now, we know from our series that we've been doing on Isaiah that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah have been prophecy of doom. They have been warnings to the people of Judah, warnings and prophecy that there will be impending judgment because they keep turning away from God. Last week, Sean unpacked the rebellion of impatience that the, eyes, that the people in Judah were feeling, and in particular, King Hezekiah, who makes an unholy alliance with a nation purely out of his fear and his arrogance and perhaps his pride, because he is not seeing God act. And it was clear to the people of Judah, as we read those stories, that they had forgotten their own story. They had forgotten that 700 years before, God had made a way for them through the desert to come and be free of their uh, slavery in Egypt. After these 30 generations had passed, though, The rule of life that Moses gave to them, the commandments in the desert, was being lost. Because in their success and their prosperity, the people lost sight of who God was. They lost sight of his guidelines of how to welcome the stranger, of how to make provision for the poor. And they had ignored God's commandments to teach his ways to the next generation to post his laws 
on the doors of their hearts. They had allowed corrupt governance and pride and greed to break down this fabric of faith. Traditional celebrations like Passover that helped them remember who God was had dropped out of their practice. Worship took on superficial tones. Isaiah 5 writes about it like this. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. These were a sign of people who had turned away from God, a God that has saved them, and they were no longer able to carry his image into the world. So deaf to his voice, God no longer held back the consequences of their choices. He abandoned them to their ways. He removed his hand of protection over them. In Isaiah 39, God makes a prediction through Isaiah to King Hezekiah. Hezekiah, hear the words of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up to this day will be carried off to Babylon. And that day came. The first Babylonian invasion was in 605. The second seven years later was 598. And, the pl and it plundered all of the riches of the temple, taking them back to Babylon. Finally, in 586, Nebuchadnezzar came and lay siege to Judah and burned Jerusalem to the ground. The golden temple of Solomon lay in rubbles. The word of life, the Torah, that came in the scrolls of the covenant were now buried deep underneath the mortar and the bricks, lost to generations. And the people of Judah were taken into exiles into Babylon. They went in waves. Families were separated, torn out of their homes, forced to pack what they could on their backs and walk in captivity of a caravan that 900 miles into a new land through the wilderness and a desert. First, their captives took the influencers in their community, the political leaders and the educated people, the wealthy merchants, and the young, strong men, like Daniel, they would prove to be useful to the Babylonians. And they left behind no resources, and the people felt helpless without their leaders. With each wave, the captive left Jerusalem more and more devastated. The sick and the elderly, and perhaps the very young, were left before, uh, behind, a remnant, and their faith grew more and more discouraged. The hope of recovering a Jerusalem was beginning to fade and fast. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, and finally 70. Lamentations describes it like this. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She now lives among the nations 
and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all taken her over in the midst of her distress. This is the wilderness that Isaiah speaks into, the exile from their homes, that God brings a word of hope. Let's begin with our our passage, our text. It begins, as you heard earlier, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received double from the Lord's hand for all her sins. These were no longer words of condemnation, but words of comfort. And he repeats them twice for emphasis, for strength. When you translate that Hebrew word, it really means something like comfort. Take a deep breath. Breathe in and out because God is close. Don't worry. Something like, for the difficulty will be over. And Isaiah couples it with words of hope. The tide is turning. A plan for your safety is coming into place. For the next 15 chapters in this section of this book, Isaiah speaks and prophesies about God's saving actions to reverse those 70 years of exile. And it is this change of voice that causes our scholars and the detail that is, comes up in Isaiah in the prophecies that makes many scholars believe that it's possible we had a second Isaiah author writing this section, one that writes in the same tradition of Isaiah. Isaiah would have had, the Isaiah of Amos, who starts our book, would have had to live over a hundred years if he was going to know or see some of these come true. So it is that we kind of think there was possibly another person that comes alongside and writes in that same fashion, but we're not sure. And for our purposes today, I think we can just embrace it. We know that those words were attributed to Isaiah and that they were um, thought of as part of his body of work. And so this morning, we listen for how God speaks to us through that voice. And not only comfort, but also hope comes. Verse 3 begins, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. And the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. What a beautiful picture that gives us of how God comes into our wilderness. Into the wilderness of the lives of the Judea, Judean people who were in Babylon, who were then removed from everything that had attached them to their identity in God. But God does not wait for them to turn around because they are truly lost. God comes to them. God meets us also, and he begins to remove the barriers to his love and giving life into our lives. Verse 5 finishes, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And a voice says, cry out, 
And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like flowers of the field. For the grass withers and the flower falls, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on the mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign God comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd, and he gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Those are wonderful word pictures for us to hold on to, to just savor as we think of how God meets us. The next 12 verses from 12 to 26, we are not going to uh, read through, but they have also some just wonderful word pictures of who God is. The God that we ask that will come and rescue us. So I encourage you to take a look at it this afternoon or tonight and just let those word pictures build for you a picture of who our God is that comes to us. The people of Judah, living in a foreign land and under oppression rules, were still carrying the scars of their own guilt and conviction. And they pretty much were sure God had forgotten them. Now, Isaiah brings a totally new tone, a voice of encouragement, a voice of hope, Their God is coming after them. Not only does he tell them that Babylonians, their oppressors, are going to be just like grass that withers in the noonday sun, but he also says God will retrieve them, that the power of his love will gather them from all the places where they are lost, and he tenderly will hold them close to his chest like a shepherd carrying the young. This is a picture of good news, sometimes too big to grasp for us. But he's telling the people, get ready, pack your bags, it will happen. He is making a way back through that 900 miles of desert and wilderness to make his people a people after his own heart again. He is removing those roadblocks and the deep pains and heartache, and he is making a way for his people to return to his heart. And that too happened for the people of Judah. In 539, almost 70 years later, Cyrus, the King Cyrus, under the, with his Persian army, would overrun Babylon, and he would allow the Israels to start trickling back to the Israels, the Israelites to start trickling back to Jerusalem. And that is a story that we hear in, bo- in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So go home and read those too, because they're good stories. But Isaiah's words to us today are much bigger and paint a much bigger picture. 
You may also remember that the that the verse three from Isaiah are are the verses that all the gospel writers use when they're talking about John the Baptist. But Mark opens his gospel with this section. He writes, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the path for him. By using this quote, Mark hopes that his readers are hearing again the arrival of a God. Arrival of a new exodus is coming. An exodus from the situations they find themselves in and more. Jesus will be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus brings new comfort and new covenant and freedom. Not only for the people of Jerusalem of that day under the oppression of Rome, but a new kind of kingdom altogether. One that is everlasting and eternal. Because it is by Jesus' work on the cross that God comes and meets us and he opens up the way back to relationship with him. Back for us to be his people. That is good hallelujah. And the picture gets bigger. Because what of today? How is it that we can embrace God's word to us through Isaiah? We all know that Jesus is coming again. But we live in that in-between time, in between the now and the not yet. We know that that will be coming, but we know that not all things are back in right relationship with God in our world. We know someday that will, our world will look like that. But much like a people in exile, we often forget that God is working behind our backs. And we often feel like God has forgotten us. And we question, how can this be a good God when bad things happen? Many of us have experiences of exile in our lives. It's an experience of helplessness where we're even, despite our best efforts and our constant prayers, life happens, and we are caught, lost in that wilderness of feelings. I'm feeling exiled and distanced from family, from friends, and even from God. I had experience like that, especially when we moved up from Los Angeles nearly 25 years ago. And it was our choice to move up here. But I'm going to tell you a short story that sort of encapsulates some of those feelings that happened just a couple years after we moved up. One of our children, who shall, be, who shall remain unnamed at this point, um, had returned home from college. It was his first, uh, um, yeah, his first return. He just he went away in the spring and was coming back. Um, and it was understandable. He wanted to go and see his friends. It was Friday night football, and he played on the football team. And so um, he came home for the weekend, and I was it was great to see him. Um, and he wanted to go connect with his friends. And um, even though it was a really rainy night, I said, "Yeah, take the car. That's fine." Now I should tell you that it was Jan's new car, and Jan was out of town. 
but you'll find about that later. <laughs> I had expected, okay, I'll, you know, I think we agreed he'd be home right around midnight. Um, but when midnight came and went, um, I began to get anxious, and I began to walk and to wait. All right, he's coming. I know it's just a little bit late. And then 1 o'clock came and went, and I sort of started that, you know, um, this is when a mother's mind starts into overdrive, right? So I started thinking about all the things and all the what-ifs of what might happen, all those scenarios I'm playing out. At the same time, I'm sort of preparing the speech for when he comes through the door, and I'm like, come on, where were you, you know? So um, all of this, back and forth, for three hours, vacillating between worry and anger and replaying then, of course, all my own parenting mistakes, thinking, if only I'd done this, if only I'd said that. And even as ridiculous as it sounds now, I was thinking, and if we hadn't moved up here, we'd be in L.A. and this wouldn't have happened. Now, of course, that's ridiculous. Um, but that's where I was, in this sort of state of exile. Now, fortunately, it was short-lived, because right around 3.30 or 4, I hear that front door open, and a very wet and bruised 10-year-old boy stands before me in his 18-year-old body. His head is hanging down, and his words of explanation and apology are pouring out. In that moment, all I could do was Julie just throw my arms around him. <laughs> I burst into tears because I was so, so glad that he was home. Nothing of what had gone before mattered I was just so grateful that God had heard the prayers between my ranting and my raving to protect our son and to bring him home. I took a deep breath. Now, there would be consequences. And for sure, the first one would be explaining to his father how he had wrapped his new car around that telephone pole. And the next one would be picking up the driver's license on Monday morning with his mother um, so he could have a driver's license again. But he was home. The wait and the terror of those hours were over, and he was home. I think we've all experienced a little bit of exile in our lives. Big or small, short or long. But these are examples of how the wilderness can creep into our lives and arrive unexpectedly, without warning. Yet, God was working. He was working behind my back. Comfort. Take a deep breath. I have heard your prayers, he says. Trust me. I have a plan. Even when that plan does not look like anything I would have planned, God is there. Isaiah closes uh, chapter 40 with this little section that I'm going to read from 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God? So do you not know? Have you not heard, writes Isaiah, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. 
He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. As we hear that, we can recognize those doubts that Isaiah expresses. We always forget, and when we complain, where are you, God? How could you let this happen? If you love me, how could this happen? But again, Isaiah reminds us, just who is it that we pray to? It is the one who spreads out the heavens like a tent or a canopy. It is the one who holds our every tear and our every joy, who will never grow weary, who has more life and energy in him than all of us put together when we were teenagers. This is our God. So this morning, as you and I traverse the wilderness and wait in some of those desert places, let us remember to keep looking for that good news for the way reversal might happen or release. Let us remember that we live under the shadow of the Almighty One who gathers us and cares for us and carries us close to his heart. He is the one that renews our strength and our trust and in whom nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Lord and creator of all and the one who knows our every thought, who sees our problems coming before we do, and catches us and speaks into our worry and our doubt, will you come and meet us this morning in the desert and wilderness of our exile sometimes? Will you come and find us and bring us home? Will you draw us now into your great arms of comfort and give us your peace for the journey through the exile and the wilderness of this life, holding fast to your grace? Amen.